Hello and welcome to the 90th episode of Finding Peaks. I'm Jason Friesma, Chief Clinical Officer and host today. And joining me uh, is my great privilege to announce the two clinical directors at Peaks Recovery. Lauren Atencio, uh, Clinical Director of our Old Ranch Campus, and Kate Nelson, the Clinical Director of our Brook Park Campus. Um, what an honor to have you guys Yay. here. And uh, we have some significant uh, clinical firepower today on this show. <laughs> um, and so we're going to talk about billing. No, I'm kidding. Insurance. <laughs> yeah, insurance billing, because uh, it's so exciting. No, I'm kidding. Um, actually, as, as I was thinking about doing this episode today, in the vast amount of time I spent uh, contemplating it, um, I was reminded of a podcast I was listening to. And uh, the topic of the podcast, um, I think it was a This American Life episode, and they talked about how um, this woman was at a, a dinner party and um, as an adult, and she had gone to the zoo that day, and um, she was talking with her friends about it, and then uh, she literally said to her friends, I was disappointed because the zoo didn't have any unicorns. And she's being dead serious, and then it occurred to her that she had she had this childhood belief that she had never challenged in her life. And as soon as her adult brain had said it, like she had realized what she had said was that she didn't see a mythical creature, but in her head, somewhere in her head, uh, the unicorn was real and she was actually disappointed that she didn't see it. And of course she took a lot of grief from her friends about that. And the, kind of the whole show was about uh, what childhood beliefs you kind of carry that uh, you have not challenged yet in your life. And so that's this really weird segue into uh, what we're going to talk about today was, is uh, a piece of um, a clinical approach called uh, internal family systems. And, uh, and, what, the, and what, we, what we're going to talk about is uh, inner child work. Um, and so uh, it's a little bit of a stretch, maybe, or it's a little, conceptually, it's an interesting thing to talk about, but we found it to be a really powerful tool uh, to utilize with our clients. and. Uh, I know for me, it's been an important tool in my own personal journey. Um, and so with that, um, uh, I want to start with you, Kate. Um, uh, Kate, by the way, if you notice her hat, uh, she has been approached by a lot of people who found out about being uh, a hat model. Um, so They don't exist. Uh, let's let's <laughs> put that out there. Yeah. So you can email her at knelson at Peaks Recovery. Uh, if, if you, you want me her, to model a hat, yeah. I am here for it. Be awesome. Yeah, um, be great. But anyway, so, so this inner child work, like how, <laughs> how have you found it at Peaks? Like, cause we did, I'm not even sure when we were writing the original curriculum and doing all of that, I'm not even sure it was included in it, at least not very much. Mm. Um, and how have you kind of uh, brought that to our women's program? So uh, good question. Um, it really started pretty organically, I would say. I think all of us just noticed um, clients that we would get that would regress to really young behaviors. And when we say regression, we're, we're talking about going to a pattern of behavior that seems really young and presents really young. Anything from closing your body inwards or becoming really tearful or even just the reactiveness that we see in children. And so in that, we knew that we had to put some interventions in place, which is really where I think a lot of us got curious about inner child work. Mm -hmm. um, and so inner child work essentially is saying, there's a part of you, the internal family systems is really a lot of parts work. So there's a part of you that never was nurtured, loved, accepted, 
um, reared as a child the way that you should have been. And so that part of you still kind of shows up really young. Um, and so that, that gave us the opportunity to kind of look at different strategies in order to support that, which you know, has turned a lot into um, sort of nurturing that part of self, which can look a lot of different ways, which we can get into. But that's really kind of where it started, was just noticing that, that our clients were having a hard time showing up authentically because there was this really young part of them. Yeah, and I, I remember, I've asked so many clients too, like um, before I'd even done a lot of investigation into IFS, like how old do you feel right now? Like that was mm -hmm. my old question back mm -hmm. in the day because you, could, you can certainly tell when people um, are in a place where they are acting maybe younger than their age. And the other thing I thought about as you were talking, Kate, too, is that um, <clears throat> this internal family systems, like it is interesting to say that we have these parts of ourselves that we carry around and um, and that sometimes they, they are forward and sometimes our younger self is kind of acting out in a way. Um, and that can sound like kind of psychobabble in a way, but like so many times people will say like, you know, there's a part of me that wants to go on a vacation with my family and there's a part of me that mm -hmm. doesn't. We say it all the time. Mm -hmm. and, and I think it's our opportunity as clinicians to be like, cool, so what part of you wants yeah. to go on that vacation with your family? Mm -hmm. What part of you doesn't? And let's, let's literally explore those parts. And I think even applying to like substance use, what there's a part of me that wants to be sober, there's a part of me that doesn't. Mm -hmm. Cool. Yeah. Let's, let's identify and explore those parts further. Mm -hmm. And Lauren, I'm gonna ask you an open-ended question too, like how how's this, how this shown up for you and, and your team at, at the ranch? Yeah, so I think, um, especially in our Identity and Purpose Week, uh, we review Eric Erickson's developmental stages. Um, and that's been a really huge thing, I mean, for me personally as a clinician, is leaning on developmental trauma and kind of how it allows us to revert back into old behaviors. And if you look at the developmental process, and if there's ruptures in that, and you aren't able to go repair those ruptures. So if you feel inferior when you're 13 and you're always felt inferior, when you feel inferior as an adult, you're gonna revert back to being a 13 year old. And you're going to do what you did as a 13 year old in order to protect yourself in that space. But the biggest difference, and this is something I really kind of, um, kind of stress to the clients is that you're not 13 anymore. So the defense mechanism, the coping skill, the protective measures that you took as a 13 year old just aren't gonna work the same way for you as an adult because you don't, you're not 13. And so I think going into a place of going over the developmental stages, seeing what ruptures may have occurred, whether it be in the family of origin, at school, um, just any kind of rupture that might have trauma that really kind of stunted that development, it definitely allows for our clients to revert back. And I think we as a team really try to, like you said, call that like, okay, so how old are you right now? Mm -hmm. What defense mechanism is this? What, how did it work with your parents? How did it work with your, your at school? And they're able to see how it worked. And then they're also able to see how it doesn't work anymore. So a lot of this too is kind of interrupting old patterns and yeah. behaviors, right? Mm -hmm. You're not 13, let's not do what a 13-year-old does. Yeah. Um, let's do what an adult does. And so kind of interrupting that process is huge too with the clients. Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> the other thing that I, that I watch with people too so much is um, people will take their adult self, sitting here in the here and now, and then be really harsh at things that they did when they were young. Like, mm -hmm. I should have handled myself better when I was yeah. in second grade, or mm -hmm. I shouldn't have, you know, people carry around blaming themselves for their own parents' divorce or conflict yeah. in the family or not protecting their siblings enough and that sort of thing. 
and, and they take their adult mind and then wonder why they weren't an adult, why didn't, they didn't act like an adult when they were younger. And um, this is a little more loosely attached to the IFS, but like I, I've had people like really like get a picture of a younger person or, or get a picture of yourself when you were young or do you know how big six-year-olds are? They're like this big and like you're judging that person so incredibly harshly. Mm -hmm. um, and you know, that brings me, that, that makes me think of shame, right? The shame that, that gets implanted uh, when we are young and that uh, you're not smart enough or you're not uh, perfect enough or you're not mm -hmm. performing well enough or these things are your fault. Um, I think those get uncovered a lot as we do this work as well. Well, a, a big thing that I hear clients say is like, oh, my family never told me I wasn't smart enough. I, they never told me I wasn't good enough. And it's the thing that people don't really see is that like, we don't actually go up to people and say like, hey, Jason, you're not good enough. So yeah. make sure you remember that. It's the subliminal messages we give like, oh, why didn't you get an A on your report card? Yeah. Why didn't you um, get a better, you know, get better friends? Why aren't, why are you alone all the time? Why mm -hmm. do you do, you know, it's, it's natural questions that we want to ask because we're curious and we, a lot of the times it comes out of this care and concern, right? Like, why mm -hmm. aren't you doing better? But as a kid, I always tell clients that like, we are inherently selfish humans. And as a kid, kids can't process or understand that something that, that not, that something isn't their fault. Don't know a lot of words, so. Um, and so we have to internalize, we have to blame it on ourselves. My parents got divorced because I wasn't good enough. Mm -hmm. I wasn't a good daughter. I wasn't, mm -hmm. you know, when in reality, that's not what's happening. But when we're given those subliminal messages, that's how we internalize it. And then as an adult, like you said, I'm now blaming myself for my parents' divorce when I, there was absolutely nothing I could have done. Yeah. And so, yeah. When you think about it, like a kid's world is really small, especially like if you go all the way to like infancy, the world literally revolves around you, Yeah. Mm -hmm. right? Like, and so it, it makes a lot of sense like when your parents are attending to all of your needs for you to feel like the world kind of revolves around me mm -hmm. and that, you know, gets carried forward and, and obviously as people grow and develop as Eric Erickson describes, like you kind of go through these events and, and you challenge uh, a variety of these beliefs, but like it does make sense when you're a little kid that like I must be at fault yeah. because mm -hmm. this happened and the world kind of revolves around me so this is probably my fault. Mm -hmm. As an adult, I think most of us are a lot better at recognizing that the world does not always revolve around us and that we aren't <laughs> in charge of that, except for Lauren. Um, I thought it did. This is Lauren's show. We're all just on it. Yes. Uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, I was supposed to host it, but Jason didn't let yeah, me. Yeah, I just so. like dumped you out of the chair. And yeah. The mm -hmm. but, um, but yeah, so I think these things uh, are important um, to explore. So, so why do we do it? Why, when, we're, when people come in, with substance use disorder or depression or mm. bipolar or anxiety or PTSD, why, why is this an important component of a, mm -hmm. a six-week program? Kate. Kate, yeah. take it away. Um, <laughs> so, I mean, you did mention trauma, and I think our shame narratives and trauma just go hand in hand, right? And so what we do really well, I think, is getting to some of the underlying issues to why are you depressed? Why are you anxious? Why do you stay in this pattern? Um, and so to get to that, we have to get to these hard places. We have to get to that little kid that's scared still and hurting and doesn't feel worthy and good enough. Um, and so that is why we do it. Um, speaking a little bit more to that, we, we usually offer a lot of narrative assignments, therapy around it, writing. 
Um, but there's so many ways to do it. We really like to look at, like, how are you talking to yourself? Because if you're talking to yourself the way that the caregivers in your life did that made you feel that way, that tells us that that child is hurting. And so that is why we get to it, because that's probably one of the core issues why people are continuing to stay in their suffering. Can you, can you think of specific examples before you, get, before you talk, like, of things people tell them? Yeah, so what we hear a lot is just kind of, you know, I'm not good enough, I'm stupid, I'm a failure. Um, I can't succeed at whatever XYZ thing that not I was told that I should. What's that? Not worthy of love. Not worthy of love. Not worthy of belonging. That's a big one yeah. with a lot of our clients. They don't feel like they belong anywhere. Um, so those are a lot of the narratives that are usually linked to that hurting kid. I think what this brings up and to add on to what you said too is like this concept of reparenting, right? Like if I... And this isn't just for parents, so I don't want the parents watching this to think that like we just sit and attack our like attack you when right. our clients are with us. One thing that I make it very very clear to the clients um, on the front end when we start doing inner child work is that I am not here to play the blame game. We are not here to play the blame game because if we keep blaming our parents, our mm -hmm. caregivers, our anything, then you're going to stay stuck in that. Yeah. And so bringing up this concept right of reparenting even mm -hmm. is that you know you know, clients might say, you know, I, I, I expect certain, certain things from my mom. I expect my dad to show up in a certain way. And so what we try to do really is allow for them to, for them to show up in that way. Mm -hmm. If my mom can't show up in this way to support me, or if my dad um, can't come in and really provide love, care, support, then how do you just do that for yourself? So you can maintain a relationship with family, but not have these expectations on them because you're actually filling that cup. You're actually talking to yourself in the nicer way. You're noticing when, because I, I notice so much with clients is they actually like push their inner child away. Like I want to protect you so much from this hurt that I'm going to put you in the corner. But all that does is tell that inner child that again, they're not good enough. Mm -hmm. They can't handle things, right? Yeah. So being able to give that voice of like, hey, you can be emotional in this space because I will protect you, which is a little weird sometimes, right? Because you're like talking to like your younger self. And mm -hmm. when I first started full disclosure, I was like, what am I doing right now? <laughs> um, but it is so powerful. And so just wanted to add on to that with the reparenting process. Mm -hmm. And I like that you mentioned this isn't an opportunity for us to, to be bashing people's parents or family no. systems. Like that isn't what this looks like at all. It's really essentially saying like, you know, your parents gave you a lot and then let's fill in some of the gaps. Like mm -hmm. you needed this, let's try to meet that need and you have the empowerment to be able to meet that need. So let's look at what that would be mm -hmm. rather than throwing anyone under the bus or anything like that. It's really an opportunity to just say, here's some needs that weren't met and I wanna start meeting them for myself. Yeah, and I think in my understanding too, and, I, and I'm not an expert on IFS, like I've, I've certainly learned a lot about it, but I don't, I'm not, I wouldn't consider myself an expert in it, but it does seem like, I, I think what you said too, Lauren, like a lot of times we're like, oh, I'm feeling young or whatever, I'm gonna go again, put my kid in the corner or whatever. And I think um, good IFS, good internal family systems practitioners will say like, well, what is your inner child just trying to tell you? Like just yeah. turn mm -hmm. and listen to your inner like, What's feeling unsafe, or what? What does that inner child need to hear? As you said, totally. And, it, and I know we kind of chuckle as we say this because, like, <laughs> um, we are very practical people too, and we are professionals. And some of the, some of these things we're saying can sound a little um, 
Hokey. far-fetched or like yeah. har hard to imagine. But yeah. uh, the reason that we bring it out is like it, it does help. Um, mm -hmm. And it does help get to some of the underlying causes, like, like you mentioned, Kate, of what is driving some of the depression or at least mm -hmm. perpetuating it. Um, and how, how can you recover if you're sitting in the shame and being, beating yourself up so significantly? And I've, I know I've shared on this show so many times, or a few times anyway, that like I've, I in groups have said, how many of you feel like the worst people on the planet? And mm -hmm. at least half the group will raise their hand. And that means everybody, all those people, and probably everyone in the chairs, are telling themselves such significantly horrendous things about themselves that recovery from anything, depression, anxiety, or substance use is going to be nearly impossible because of how hard I'm being on myself mm -hmm. all the time. Mm -hmm. And so finding that grace and cultivating some compassion for oneself, um, I think is such an important aspect of this. And it, but it does take time and intention to do. Like, it's one thing to say, like, just be nice to yourself or whatever, but like, it, it takes work. And mm -hmm. honestly, it takes a lot of guidance sometimes too for us to be able to really feel it, like really allow ourselves to find a little compassion and, uh, and, and step out of that perfectionistic approach or just that really harsh uh, aspect. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I think you kind of said it, right? It's just a practice of being kinder to self and meeting your own needs. And I think a big part of it too is like trusting yourself, mm. trusting that the work that I'm doing within treatment, with therapists, with medical, any of these things, the work that I'm doing, I'm building up my adult self and my younger self to be able to trust that I can take care of this. Mm -hmm. I'm not alone in all of these different areas of my life. And I think that's just one of the most powerful things for clients to be able to discover. Mm -hmm. Well, I, I love that you said that. Cause like so much, you know, as, as we are working on this integrated care model and, and helping people um, we still are calling it recovery, but it means much more than just being sober from substances. Like it's mm -hmm. recovering from a lot of things. And, and so much about recovery is regaining access to and the, the ability to trust our gut, to trust mm -hmm. ourselves. Yeah. Um, and as, we, as we've been kind of revamping our curriculum and talking it through again, like <clears throat> it, it really became clear to me that when people walk into peaks, they're out of relationship not only with the people around them, but with themselves genuinely, mm -hmm. like to the point where they're poisoning themselves or not getting out of bed or uh, ha their anxiety is so high and it isn't even really attached to reality. It's like attached to just this rumination and they're, they're detached from their body and they're out of sync with that and they don't know what's good for their body and healthy for them. Um, and so much of it does go back to like, I mean, that sounds like a, a kid in a way, like mm -hmm. that needs guidance and needs a little support and help. And, um, and it's so important that we equip people to then learn how to do that themselves without mm -hmm. us, right? Like it's our whole job to put ourselves out of business. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> yeah. 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 I think it goes into the flipping the script thing too is like, you know, I've had clients do empty chair exercises and, and we put their inner child, their young self in the chair in front of them. And, give them the opportunity to see, oh wow, like that little kid was described his whole life as rebellious, a nuisance, messy, he <clears> couldn't <throat> do anything right. And you have the clients sit there and you lo they look at their younger self and just this powerful moment of like, he was just a kid. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like he was messy and rebellious and kind of crazy at times because he was a kid and finding that compassion for our inner child and our younger self goes back to what mm -hmm. we were talking about there too. Yeah. Well, I, I don't want to lose track of 
kids hearing the opposite messages with pressure as well. Like, you're the responsible one. You're the smart yes. one. He, you're the, you're, you're going to make it. You're the anchor of this family. You're yeah. my hope for the future. That has the same pressure. effect, just even though those mm -hmm. all sound nice, but they put a ton of pressure on a kid. Too. Totally. Mm -hmm. That kid now has to be perfect. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. No, I love that you kind of described like the process that we use, because I think that's a really important piece of it is a lot of us use the empty chair model to kind of bring in this visualization of your younger self, because I think that's the moment where there's the connection, right? Like, wow, this little seven-year-old like believes that they should have been responsible for this or that they should have fixed this or that they should have been able to do this, these big things, these big adult things. And then this realization of like, they were just this little human that was just looking for guidance, mm -hmm. you know? And that's where the powerful moment comes in for clients and when they can really buy into it and kind of take that, this seems corny out of it, um, when they have that moment. Yeah. It always seems a little corny when we're doing it, right? <laughs> it, I know. It, it does. does. It, feels like, it feels like describing somebody dancing or describing <laughs> a moment and it's like, eh, mm -hmm. it just doesn't do it justice. Yeah. But, um, but it is really important. And um, and I know Brandon and Clinton are going to give me a little grief for talking about this, but like I don't care because like it's really important. <laughs> and there's been an important uh, piece to our curriculum in, in helping people to cultivate um, their self-compassion and and uh, giving people that walk into peaks an opportunity to to find some of that. Yeah. I think is uh, really pretty critically mm. important. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Um, all right. So with that. Uh, we're already out of time. Laura, oh. thanks for checking over your shoulder. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but we're out of time. I, uh, I appreciate you guys coming on. Um, I think it's a great discussion. Um, and I want to thank everyone for watching or listening to this episode. Uh, you can find us on um, Facebook and Instagram and uh, I think the TikTok. I haven't seen as many of those lately, but the some TikTok. TikTok. Um, maybe we get Kate. Uh, and some hats on the TikTok. <laughs> and, Hat uh, modeling. Anyway, find us on, lot, on all those and anywhere you get uh, your podcasts as well. And uh, with that, we'll go ahead and sign off.